Welcome to this week's podcast from Gathering Place Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, please visit our website at gatheringplacechurch.com. We offered her a place to stay, and this past August, she brought her 12-year-old daughter to come stay with us as well. So it's a small space, but we are working together to take care of each other inside of the home, and I couldn't be more proud of my children for opening their hearts and their space to another family and loving them like family. Okay, so what brought me here to GPC is uh, I started ascending Elizabeth to ZCA, and she had always talked about chapel and um, some of the things that she liked about coming to church here. So I tried it out once, and then I was also dating another uh, gentleman that was uh, belonged to a Christian church. And when he came to visit on Sundays, we liked to come to GPC to make him feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, so I tried it out just kind of as an alternative. I'd been a longtime member of Immaculate Heart of Mary Church since I was a child. And um, I wasn't really looking for anything new. It was just something that uh, after some time of coming here just to, to try it out, it was something that I felt strongly that I was gravitating more and more to church here on the weekends. Uh, Pastor Garrett was instrumental in giving me something to look at in my faith that I hadn't previously um, experienced. And the 12 years of Catholic education that I had and the subsequent 19 years of Catholic practicing that I had done. So um, he really just encouraged me to listen to the Holy Spirit and to speak, um, to listen to what it was speaking to me and to tell me, you know, the directions in my life. Um, so the next question Pastor Garrett asked me was, why did I enroll Elizabeth at ZCA? And this is something that's very easy for me to talk about. Elizabeth was struggling um, academically in the public school system. So, and my sister Jeannie, who is also a member at GPC, was bringing her children to ZCA. And so I was considering it as an option just for the smaller class sizes and having somebody to help me with drop off and pick up responsibilities um, as an alternative to public school. Um, it wasn't long after she was here that I realized how much this school really impacted her life. Um, Ms. Combs, Ms. Nally, Ms. King, and Ms. Reese have just been absolutely like another mother to her. I know when I drop Lizzie off here that she's getting the love and the support and encouragement in all parts of her life. And that as a parent, you know, it feels good to know that that's what your kid's getting while you're away at work. And after her time here, she really just blossomed into a totally different little girl. Um, the love that she has for other people and, um, and Christ has just made her into an, a totally different child. She is more outgoing, she is comfortable in her own skin, and academically she was able to receive the additional attention that she needed with the small class sizes, and um, it's just been a great change for us. Uh, so another question Pastor Garrett and Brianna asked me was, what does uh, a real Jesus home look like to us and how do we share Christ in our home? And first I just want to say, it might be a small detail, but we like to keep a lot of Christian relics in our house. Um, big wooden cross hanging over the biggest wall in our living room, 
to small little crosses everywhere else, guardian angels, um, things like that, just to always remind us the Christians that we are. In addition to that, we like to um, pray together, eat together. Um, Lizzie's usually the, the leader. She wants to make sure before we even touch a bite of our food, we've bowed our heads and gave thanks. And um, But more than that, my kids go to Catholic education. They belong on, um, they do Christian retreats. Um, we've started listening to some Christian music lately. And the other two tolerate it, but um, Lizzie and I like to share some of the songs that she has in chapel on Fridays. And it's just all around celebrating and being thankful for all the things that we have, the blessings we're able to give to other people. And just to keep that in mind, you know, on a daily basis and to be active people in our faith community. So that's really what I found here at GPC is an opportunity to get involved um, in a smaller place where you, you do get a chance to um, be participative in, in other people's lives and affect them immediately. Finally, they asked me to share what are some um, goals and some disciplines for my home. And as a single mom of a 14-year-old girl who is now starting to share her personality and put herself out there in the world as well, it became totally evident to me that I needed to lead her with a better example and to bring more structure and more grounding into her life to where she knew the image that she was giving off and the person that she wanted others to see her to be. So um, some of our goals have been, you know, just getting the older two children more involved and in, uh, maybe a youth uh, Christian committee or something where they can um, lead by example and share their faith and also grow in their spirituality. And just uh, personally, I started reading the Bible. Um, Pastor Garrett had mentioned it a couple of months ago. And it wasn't something that at first I was keen to the idea, but um, I started just making myself do it every day. And that was an immediate response came from my daughter, Lizzie. And she wanted to see what I was reading so she would pick up the Bible and look at my place card and see if it was something that she had studied in class or let me know her thoughts about what I was reading and it just kind of opened up a dialogue that we hadn't previously done as a family so I want to continue in doing those kinds of things as a, as a family and um, just bringing our center and our mind around being open to what the Holy Spirit has for us and what we can do for others and what we can share with others that we have. Amen. Can you put your hands together for life change? I love it. Teresa, we just want you to wave at us real quick. We're happy you're here. She's sitting uh, in the back right there. It, no. <laughs> it takes boldness to put yourself out there like that. Uh, but we believe what God's doing in your life is going to encourage and touch a lot of people. Um, and we want to welcome you into the GPC family as well and happy uh, what God's going to continue to do in your life. But man, I'm excited that you're here this morning. Um, it has been a powerful series so far. Uh, last week, just to recap a little bit, is we talked about uh, parenting. We talked about home culture, that uh, your home of your past affects greatly the home of your present and the home of your f future. Anybody can testify to that. 
Uh, when you get married even, you come together, you're bringing two different home cultures together and usually at first you collide because she's, uh, or because I'm a clean freak and she loves, you know, hey, if the friends call and it's time to go out, I drop the chores and I'm hanging out, right? So there's different uh, collision and differences and personalities and all those great things that make a home culture. One thing we established as well is that home is wherever you're at. Home isn't just something that happens when you have kids, when you get married. Uh, home is wherever you're at right now. And whatever that looks like for you is you heard uh, Teresa talk about, we want to have a real Jesus home culture. We want to have a healthy home culture. Um, when we, that home would be a place that you look forward to going to, that it not be a prison or it not be chaos and confusion, but home be something uh, that life change is happening. You're opening up God's word. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you as you're having your chair time. And so our heart is, in this church, is that healing, the healing ministry of Jesus would touch and affect our brokenness. And many times, home culture is broken. We see it in our culture. We see it in our society. So that's where the, the title of the message really came from, is hope for your home. Can anybody use a little hope for your home? I know I can. Uh, so I pray that these collection of talks, this series, uh, just really encourage you in wherever, whatever home looks like uh, for you. I'm going to read a passage of scripture, and um, as I was just really praying of what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in the service, he really put a deep issue and a deep subject on my heart that I want to pray just to have sensitivity with. Um, I want to pray that the Holy Spirit can take my broken words and he can give life to you. He can give hope to you. So I'm going to read this passage of scripture um, from 1 Kings 19. And it's a story we really miss because Elijah is a powerhouse, right? He is one of the only ones to be taken up in a chariot to heaven, never had to experience a physical death. Uh, there's also other great stories packed in First and Second Kings of the prophet, the man of God, Elijah. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings 19. Verse 1 through 9, I want to read this and I just want to pray and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to do what only he can do this morning. Here's what the word of God says. It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Jezebel's throwing death threats at Elijah right here. Verse three, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Anybody ever said that to God? I've had enough, can't go on said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and he fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came to, back to him a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for this journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. 
you would pray with me. Holy Spirit, I pray um, as we talk along the subject of mental health, of depression, of anxiety, God, that my heart would be that of the psalmist where he said, let the meditations of my heart, let the words of my mouth be pleasing unto you, my Lord, my God, my rock, my redeemer. Father, we thank you as this is a serious subject that people of faith, people in culture and in the world deal with on an everyday basis. Shed your light, Jesus, on these situations. I pray freedom in the house this morning. I pray that your word would pierce, as uh, Hebrew says, a two-edged sword, that it would divide and get to the core issues of what makes us anxious, of what leads us into depression. God, we thank you that you set us free and that you give us purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 You know, I was looking up some statistics on depression. If you look at Barna Research or things the the CDC has released, uh, it'll tell you that in 2018, depression is the leading cause of suicide uh, in America. So we see um, also a bunch of uh, public suicides that have happened in 2018 from Kate Spade and many others that have taken place. Now, suicide obviously is the end effect and the end goal, but we know how the enemy works prior to that because that's where he wants to get us in our depression and our anxiety. And so this morning, I wanna touch on depression and and what that looks like and and bring some truth out of what we see of what Elijah was dealing with. You know, when you talk about depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts, you know, there's a stigma against it in the church that if you struggle with these things and you begin to open and you begin to talk about it, then maybe a pastor or a spiritual leader or a well-meaning person said, well, you're just not spiritual enough. You, you, need, you need to go to Jesus about that. When in reality, you are struggling and you need help. And you're, the times you've spoken up, the times that you've cried out, it's like there was nothing there to really grab or, or nothing, no decisions, no one really was helping. They just said, you need to go to Jesus, right? Now, I believe 100% we go to Jesus and depression and anxiety is spiritual, but there is some physical elements to it. And I wanna preface it, I by no means am a psychologist. So if you need help, please reach out to a doctor. If you take medicine, I'm not saying that you need to completely take medicine before you leave here. Now, if the Holy Spirit deals with you to do that, I'm all for that. But I want you to see some truth through Elijah and his process of where he said things like we just read, I can't take it anymore. I would rather die than have to deal with what I'm going through. So basically, Elijah is on suicide watch right now. And I want to really get into his story and see what he has to say to us. But before we do that, I want to share just some things through conversation with my wife and and just through some study on depression and, and mental illness and on anxiety. You know, it's uh, with the stigma and, and what I wanna declare this morning is that stigma, whether whatever church or background you come from, the second you walk through those doors, that stigma does not exist here. That the church should be the safest place to deal with mental health, to deal with depression and anxiety. So that stigma, whatever you've been told or whatever you've heard, that stigma does not exist in this body in this house. We want you to be honest with yourself and honest with us and most importantly, honest with God because we believe there is freedom, that there is truth. How do you defeat a lie? You defeat it with truth. 
And so we believe when you get God's word in you and you begin to get in community, and that's my agenda and that's my purpose is to push you, push you toward community, to push you toward getting uh, with one of us or with someone you trust and begin to talk about what's going on. Because uh, Bree texts me this in the middle of the service. She says, you need to say this. I said, oh, that's good. Uh, she said, what you, uh, what you conceal, God cannot heal. What we conceal in our lives, God cannot heal. What we hide, God can't heal. So it's time we got to be honest with ourselves. Those of us that struggle with depression, again, Elijah, this man of God, this saint, uh, you know, we might think that he's not prone to deal with anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. You know, what's uh, crazy about mental illness is there's this stigma of shame attached to it. As I was saying, if you begin to speak up, then the enemy wants to start hitting you with shame and wants to make you think that this is your identity, that the sickness is who you are. You know, I, I believe in 2018 and, and with all the information that's available to us, we've got to get healthy. We've got to talk about this. We've got to be real about this in the church. I believe in the 21st century, what we're dealing with, that this is a huge area where we can take the gospel into people's lives because culture is anxious they are depressed because we know ultimately without Christ at the core of our life, we can easily be thrusted into a lifestyle of anxiety and depression. So there's three basic things I just really want to go through with you of what I see in our culture that can really stir some of these things up in us and what I believe we have to be aware of and what we have to be able to discern. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is we live in a comparison culture. We live in this comparison society where we're constantly comparing ourselves with others. You know, I, I love social media and what it can do. We're able to reach out into people's homes here even as a church and we're able to put messages up that people who don't even go to church here can watch and be fed and, and begin to, to be healed as well. But how many of you know that there's this downside to social media? Social media, I wrote this down. Uh, social media is a tool. You have to ask yourself, are you using the tool or is the tool using you? That's where it begins to get unbalanced and that's where it begins to get unhealthy. You know, we see on, with Instagram and, and different social media platforms as well is what we end up doing as we're sitting on the couch and, or as we're sitting in our cubicle on a Monday morning. It was a long Sunday night. We didn't get hardly any sleep and we slide our phones out and we get on Instagram and we see uh, uh, the guy who just went on a vacation and he's on a beach somewhere. And we begin to just compare ourselves, wishing we were there and why do I have to be here and what's going on with this? And so what we do is we compare our lowest moments with other people's highlight reels. And when you begin to compare yourself up against that all the time or what somebody else is doing, what that says is, I didn't know how unhappy I was until I saw how happy you were, right? That's what we begin to do. I, I'm content, but then I see someone else who might have more joy or might be more happy, and then I begin to compare myself, and then discontentment begins to, to come into my life. I want you to understand this. Is, this truth is, has helped set me free of things. Is Comparison kills contentment. Comparison kills contentment in our lives. You know, with social media and screens and phones is what ends up happening and what the downside of that is, is we don't know how to engage with one another anymore. We engage with our thumbs and we are good at that and we can have personalities and we can say how we want to be perceived in front of the world. But the downside of that is, is we 
can't have a conversation or look somebody in the eyes and ask, how are you doing? We can text them that, but to get face-to-face and get real with somebody, there's this uh, insecurity or there's this social awkwardness that we can see happen in our lives. You know, I believe 100% when we get our eyes off and, and we stop thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side and this job can be better and man, if God would bring that person into my life or put me in this circle and you begin to focus on your reality and where God's put you in and what he's called you to, that's gonna set you free from having to compare yourself with somebody else or somebody else's other life all the time. And so we live in this comparison culture that causes a lot of anxiety, can cause us to be depressed about our own lives when we see somebody else's. Number two of what we see is we live in a fatherless generation. We live in a fatherless generation. Statistics will show that even in the church, marriages are at about 50% that don't make it and that end in divorce. And so several generations of this happening, we now see a culture and a generation that's growing up in fatherless homes. Here's some of these statistics, is that 63% of all youth suicide comes from a fatherless home. 90% of youth runaways are from fatherless homes. And 70% of men that end up in prison, guess what, come from fatherless homes. You know, we were talking about this in our men's group yesterday, about this identity crisis that's going on in our culture and our society And I was thinking that in 2018, our culture and our world has never been so loud about identity, but at the same time has never been so confused. It's crazy when you think about it. And so we see that broken families, we see broken homes, fatherless homes, because scripture reveals this twofold purpose of what a father does. A father affirms and he corrects and he encourages and he disciplines. That's a huge attribute of a father, but here's where I want to encourage you, and here's where the hope is of whatever your home situation looks like, is the word of God declares that he is a father to the fatherless, and whatever you've missed or whatever gaps have been in your life, when you're in Christ Jesus, I need somebody to say amen right here, he is a father to you, and he can fill in the gaps that you've been missing or that you felt absent of, because in reality too, you might have a father in your home, but that father's not engaged with what's happening. And so there's this level, and that's what I love about church and our church and this community. There's been many men that have stepped up and said, hey, I'll be a father to you. Hey, I will mentor you. Hey, I'm going to take time with you. I might only be three years older than you, or heck, I might be younger than you, but I'm going to do what I can to help you heal in that area of your life. Number three is this, is we live in a narcissistic nation. You know, if you want to know what the God of America is, the God of America is self There's only enough room in the picture in the frame for me. It's a selfie generation. That there's this narcissistic culture, this society, there's this pride, there's this ego. And the enemy, if he can get you narcissistic and prideful and only looking out for yourself and your own needs and get you caught up in what is always going on inside of you, then you can completely miss. The enemy can use that to actually sabotage your life. As I said before, our job here is not to point a finger at culture and the mess that we see and judge it and correct it. Our job is to bring healing to it. That is our witness. That is our, our, our opportunity to say, hey, there is a better way to live. Hey, there is someone who can literally heal your anxiety and your depression, and his name is Jesus. You know what's wild is we talk about suicide and we see its effects in our culture, 
and in our lives. There might be some of you in here who know someone who's taken their own life or you've had suicidal thoughts at some point in your life. You know, there's this public aspect to suicide. I was doing some research, and in 1774, there's something known as the Werther Effect. And there was this man by the last name of Werther who wrote a book about uh, kind of a testimony of his life. Wasn't a, a Christian or a saved uh, man, but what he said in the book, he, he tell, told of the trials of he loved a woman so much and did everything in his power to get her to love him back, but she never did. And so it broke his heart. He was lovesick and thought the only way to heal his pain was to take his life. And so he took his life. He wrote before he took his life how he was going to do it and the style of what he did. And the stats that came out after that is that book began to fly off the shelf. And we get the term that we know today is copycat suicide. So, so many other people began to copycat what he did. And because of the stigma and because of what began to happen and what uh, people began to copycatting him, they basically called the publisher and they canceled the book and got it off the shelves because of the impact that it was happening in people's lives. We also see, and I didn't know this, but when Marilyn Monroe took her life, uh, statistics will show that suicide in our culture went up by 12%. So we see that there's this contagious thing, there's this spirit of the age that draws people in that, hey, if this is this celebrity, this person I admire, if this is how they cope and how they heal, then maybe it can work for me too. But we know that's a lie and that's a lie of the enemy and that's not what God's plan for our life is. I wrote this down as well as suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem. It's a permanent solution. You can't go back from it. And so we have to talk about this thing. We have to be real about depression, anxiety, and suicide. You know, it's amazing too, and it's so true that we have to let people know that are struggling, that there are other ways to kill your pain. Taking your life is not the way to kill pain. Never is, never will be. You know, one thing that I know about emotion in times where I've felt anxious or I could see the enemy wanting to isolate me, is that emotions change. Anybody agree with that? Emotions change. So very practically, if you can write it out, if you can get community, get the right voices around you, your emotions can change. And when you stay in the word of God, you begin to see your personality become like Christ, and so you're not gonna allow yourself to be isolated and depressed and become full of anxiety. I wanna look at Elijah's life real quick and some things, some truth we see because how we defeat the enemy, how we defeat his lies is with truth. And so I wanna look at Elijah's life. You know what's amazing again is if you go and you read 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll see Elijah's greatest victory where he challenged the prophets of Baal. And if you know the story, it's an awesome story. It's a great story to preach from. I have to do that sometime. But what you see is that he challenged the prophets of Baal and how uh, God consumed Elijah's sacrifice, and everyone saw that the God of Elijah is the one true God, and so everyone fell and disowned the, prophet, the, the God of Baal and said, we worship the God of Elijah, the one true God. And so we see Elijah on this high. He experienced this amazing victory, and just some short time after, now we see what we just read. He's on suicide watch. He's depressed. He does not know what to do. He does not want to go on. Now, one thing I know is we cannot live our lives based off highs all the time because when we live our life based off highs, then the lows can get us very low. 
And so you need to know, find a remedy, find a balance, a routine where you're not living off highs and lows or from one vacation to the next or you're living in consistency. You're living in a healthy routine. You're making church a priority. You're getting in God's word. You're putting right music in you, not to stir up things in you. You know, it's amazing too, as, as I do from time to time, I'll look at uh, the top songs on, on Apple Music or Spotify. What are people listening to? What are they streaming? There was a song that uh, bridged the top 10, and I think it, hit, it rested about number 83 right now on the charts. But it's a song called, uh, uh, let me see real quick. It's by Little Pump, if you've heard of him. But it's, uh, all my, one of the lyrics in the song is, All My Friends Are Drug Addicts. The name of the song is Drug Addicts. And I was listening to some of the lyrics of it, and I kind of took a step back, and I'm like, since when did it become cool that all your squad is drug addicts? Now, I know if it is not cool, because all you have to do is go and ask one, and they will tell you that it's the farthest thing from the truth. And so we see what I'm saying is in this narcissistic nation, this narcissistic society, is our artists, those kind of guiding and, and promoting and fueling our culture, are very self-absorbed. There's songs that throw out things of suicide and put music to it and make it sound normal and it feels right. You even go and you look on Netflix that one of the, the most streamed series of all time, all time on Netflix, is 13 Reasons Why. And it's this chronicle of a girl's story of how she takes her life and then she sends tapes out to all the people that hurt her and they now have to process through why she took her life. And so we see that our culture is hungry for answers. They're wanting to know what to do. They're not wanting to be depressed and anxious. And if the church does not get loud about this and say, hey, there is hope for your home, there is hope for your life, then we're going to miss an opportunity and we're going to see devastation happen in our communities and in our homes. I love what this quote says as well from healthyplace.com. It talks about anxiety. It says, having anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same time. It's the fear of failure, but no urge to be productive. It's wanting friends, but hating socializing. It's wanting to be alone, but not wanting to be lonely. It's feeling everything at once, then feeling paralyzing numb. If you've experienced anxiety, or if you're walking through that right now, you can, I'm sure you can agree with that. So I wanna look at three points, three truths that I believe this is how we're gonna combat this. This is how we're gonna walk through it is number one, we have to understand that fear can cause anxiety. Look at what our story from 1 Kings 19 says. Verse one, 1 Kings 19 verse one says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. In verse three, it says, as Jezebel threatened him, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. So we see this fear of this threat from Jezebel. And so we see Elijah first getting caught up in that he's fearful. He doesn't know what to do. So it says, as we know in the story, he went and he sat under a tree and he began to think. He began to think. He began to work himself up in his mind. Yeah. One thing I know and I've seen in my life is that when I'm anxious, my thoughts are faulty. I'm not gonna trust myself. And what I need to begin to do, I need to stop listening to myself and I need to start talking to myself. I need to start speaking God's word over myself. I need to start getting the right voices around, getting someone else speaking truth into my life. And so we see that fear can lead us to anxiety. Number two is this, is depression separates us from other people. You get depressed, you get anxious, you begin to see 
isolation. You begin to say, you know what, I'm just going to sleep a little bit longer. I'm just going to stay in bed. I'm just going to watch live online. It's the same thing. I'm not going to get around community. I'm not going to join a small group. I'm not going to go out to dinner with my friends. You begin to see yourself isolated and you keep the curtains closed during the day and you just begin to see this atmosphere in your home begin to change. Look what happened to Elijah in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba and Judah. Look at this right here. It says he left his servant there, left his companion behind while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I don't know about you, but the last place I would want to go by myself, depressed, is into a wilderness season. And so we see Elijah going alone into the wilderness. There was his first mistake. It says he came to a broombra, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. He said, I had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So we see all that is going on in Elijah's life. Number three is this. And I love this, and this is what I want to encourage you with, is you have to get up. There has to be action on your part. In order to go after the promises of God, you have to get up, and you have to go after them. I love what Scripture says here is Elijah's capacity is spent. Guess what anxiety does? It just makes you feel like, I I can't do anymore. I'm I'm done. I'm stressed. I'm thin. And so we see here of what verse 5 says. It says, then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep. And all at once, an angel touched him and said, this is super spiritual here, get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. We see in 7, verse 7, that the angel Lord came back to him a second time. Now, I want to pause there. At first, we see that you know, something supernatural take place. This angel showed up. We see when angels show up in the Bible, it's this glorious moment. For Elijah, this angel's like, hark, I'm here, now eat something. And what I want to get into your spirit is in order to beat depression and anxiety, there are some practical things you can do to begin to see some, th- some things change. I love what it said that he ate and then he fell asleep. Some of you, your world of problems would change if you just got eight hours of sleep every night. You put your gaming down, you turned off the TV, you read some scripture, Go read in Leviticus. It'll put you right to sleep, okay? <laughs> and then you got some, a good night's worth of sleep, all right? And so we see that his problems are very practical, and the angel simply says, get up and eat. And so we see Elijah, that he listens to the angel. He slept, and then the angel came back for a second time. It says he got up, he ate, he drank, and strengthened by the food, I'm telling you, when you rest, when you begin to have healthy habits, things like exercise, things like uh, having a healthy diet, all those things play into that very practically. And so we see that this journey of recovering and him getting back up on his feet, he begins to be strengthened. And he said, now he's going to travel 40 days and 40 nights. I want to ask you in the Bible, in the New Testament, who else was tested 40 days and 40 nights? Scripture commentary begins to connect the story of Jesus here, where Jesus went into the wilderness and was tested 40 days and 40 nights. So we see that there is an attack of the enemy here, just as the enemy went to attack Christ in his wilderness and his fast, is that the enemy is attacking Elijah here because you're going to see at the end of 1 Kings 19 what comes out of his struggle, what comes out 
of him staying persistent, of him defeating depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts. So it says that he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the cave. And Bree, if you would come, I want to pray for you here in a minute is what you'll begin to see take place if you go and you read the end of 1 Kings 19. You begin to see that there was this storm that showed up and this fire that came from heaven and, and Elijah's like, no, that's not of God. That's not of God. That's, that's a counterfeit. And then you see the third time this miracle take place. It says that there was a gentle breeze that blew through. Other translations say there was this gentle whisper that Elijah heard in the cave. I can tell you as he is eating, as he is getting back his strength, as he is remembering what God had done prior, that he begins to defeat these anxious thoughts. He begins to to defeat the, the wanting to end his life. Because in order to hear a whisper, you have to be close to somebody. So that reveals that Elijah got back into relationship with God where he could hear divine wisdom. He could hear instruction. And you know what he heard? What he heard, if you read the end of 1 Kings 19, God says you're to anoint some kings and then you're also to go and find the next successor, to find the person that's to take your place. And we know him by the name of Elisha, who would one one day ask for a double portion of what Elijah had done. And so we see that the enemy knew what was going to happen in his ladder. God did amazing things and his past, and some of you need to know this. Maybe you've raised your kids, maybe you're empty nesters, maybe you feel like you're on the other end of life. God's not finished with you yet, and God's got purpose and calling and plan for your life. Don't give up, don't allow depression and anxiety to rob you of what God wants to do. And so we see what came out of this, that Elijah, or Elisha was birthed through this. But what I want to really stick with you and what, again, my purpose is, is to push you into talking about it, to get you uh, to stop concealing, to stop hiding what's going on inside of you. Because like physical pain, I remember in fourth grade, I broke my arm riding my bike. And I had a teacher here at ZCA who was a huge Bearcats fan. So you know what colors that cast was. It was Cincinnati Bearcats. And I came into school, I'm all excited because when you break an arm as a kid, you can't wait to show your friends that cast. So I come in, there's a Sharpie stuck in the top of my arm. All of my friends are signing that cast. I'm loud and proud about it. But like I'm saying, there's a stigma with with mental illness, with depression, anxiety. We don't get loud about it. We don't talk about it because there's this idea and there's this thinking of shame and what are people going to think? But what I believe God wants to do is he wants to set you free And Nadia, I think of you and and your story, what you've shared, and how you got public about your story. And I'm excited to see the people that are going to be set free because of what God's done in you. And that's for many of you. I know we all deal with different levels. Not all of us are clinically depressed. But there's things in our life we got to get real about. And what we hide, he cannot heal. And it all comes by allowing us by allowing him to lead us to the cross this morning. I want to pray with you. And as I said, my final point is you have to get up. Whatever you're dealing with this morning, whether it be anxiety, depression, whether it's something in your past that God has not healed, on the count of three, those of you that want to say, I'm going to get up. I'm going to start talking about this. I'm going to start getting real about this. I'm going to take some action with what I'm dealing. I want you to stand up and we're going to pray. On the count of three, one, two, three. 
three. If that's you, I want you to stand right now. And we're going to pray for you. It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's lift our hands all over this church. Father, we thank you, God, that we have power because of Jesus over depression, over anxiety, over suicidal thoughts, over mental illness. God, I thank you that you're the great physician, Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we declare your word, you come alive inside of us. That's why we sing this morning, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive because of what Christ has done in us. Father, we take authority over depression and anxiety right now. Devil, we tell you to leave our minds. We tell you to leave our homes. We tell you to stop choking us in the middle of the night. We thank you that freedom is happening in this house right now. As we lift our hands, it is a sign of surrender where it is leaving the very depths of who we are. God, we know that when we get in your word, we begin to see who you've called and created us to be. So as, as Jesus laid his hands on the woman who was crippled, not by birth, but by life's effects and what happened to her, what Jesus said to her is, woman, thou art loosed. I call this church, it is loosed in the name of Jesus. Whatever and however depression and anxiety, failure, fear, false evidence appearing real has crippled you, you are loose in the name of Jesus this morning. Now I want us to put our hands together and thank God for freedom right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you were blessed. For more messages like this one, check out our website at gatheringplacechurch.com.